I don't know of anyone who doesn't want joy in their life. Now, sometimes there are people who give us the impression that they don't want joy. Sometimes you're around people who are very curmudgeonly and, and you know, they're, they're crude and they're crass. And, you know, every, every vibe they give off is, I like being this way. But if you could really look deep into their hearts, that's not the life that they want. They're that way because they haven't experienced the joy that they wish they had. And the reason why we all want joy, the reason why that's a deep yearning of our souls, is because God created us for that. When you look back at the creation story, the whole essence of that creation story is God creates as a means of blessing. And God creates people to experience the fullness of his blessing. Everything God does is to create joy and love and blessing in the lives of his creatures. And when God says that he creates us in his image, that means that we are people who not only experience joy and, and, and are created for that, but we also become agents of his joy. People who nurture that. And one of the elements of creating, of, of being image bearers of God and, and bringing his, his kingdom purposes into this world, at the heart of that is having a spirit of generosity like God does. There is a connection between generosity and joy. There is a connection between the kind of openness that, that is at the heart of generosity and experiencing joy and being agents of joy. Because when we are connected to the generosity of God, when we have experienced it and when we desire it and we want to be the kind of image-bearing people of generosity that God has called us to be, we connect ourselves with his kingdom purposes of experiencing him in deeper ways and of the joy that he created us to experience and the joy that he wants us to share with others. We're at this point in the year when we are, our fiscal church fiscal year ends at the end of May and we're on the brink of starting a new one. And you see that insert in your bulletin about the, the financial plan of the year ahead. I was looking at that a little more in detail this week and it struck me all the ways in which we are connected to God's greater purposes through our generosity. I mentioned Egypt last week and that offering we took, but there are things that are built in to this financial plan where we are connected to so many things. Some of them are local, and there are, there are all kinds of local things that we're connected to. And you see this list here of things in Allegheny County, things in western New York, even things throughout the United States. And there are, there are global things as well, places of the world where our generosity touches and connects all over the world in all kinds of different ways. And as we are a part of what's going on in that Egypt project, and a little bit of us is in that, there's a little bit of us in all these other things that we're doing because of our generosity and because of our giving and our connectedness to the God who is generous. But what we have to understand is this is not some kind of transactional thing. It's not a, we, don't, we don't live our lives of generosity and say, okay, I'm going to be generous to God so that God will be generous to me. That's actually a pagan way of thinking. 
That's how the peoples all around Israel think. That's how all the peoples outside the church think. Because they worship gods who aren't really interested in doing good for them. And so they have to convince the gods to do that. So they are generous. They come, they bring their generous sacrifices. They bring their generous gifts. So that, hoping, the gods will be generous to them. But that's not the biblical mindset of generosity. We, don't, we aren't generous so that God will be. We are generous because God is. God is generous beyond measure. And our generosity is a response to that. And that's why biblical generosity can never be forced. Biblical generosity never comes out of guilt or fear or shame. Biblical generosity is always an expression of our hearts. Sometimes it might look like generosity, but sometimes it's just a facade. It's not really biblical generosity. Because when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes these recurring statements about what it means to be generous. And he says, I know how eager you are to help. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. I want it to be a willing gift, not one you give grudgingly. Decide in your heart how much to give. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. There is this joyful willingness that comes from the kind of biblical generosity that Paul's describing. I see this in the Exodus 36 passage. You know, this is every pastor's dream, right? I mean, you go to bed with a smile on your face when you think about that passage. The people, you know, they're building the tabernacle, the place where heaven and earth will meet, the place where God says, my spirit is going to dwell and you're going to come and you're going to encounter me and I'm going to encounter you in this very special holy place. And they're building it. And Moses says, okay, here are the instructions. Everybody, you help. And people start bringing stuff. And they keep bringing stuff. And Exodus says, every morning they keep bringing more stuff. And so eventually, the guys who are working put down their tools. They go to Moses and say, you've got to tell people to stop. We've got way too much stuff. We can't take anymore. Wouldn't it be awesome? We get up on Sunday and say, look, you have to stop giving so much. The bank won't let us put any more money in there. You have to stop. We're done. We're choking on all the gifts that you're bringing. You can't do it. I mean, this is just, it's just this. This eager, willing, joyful generosity that's pouring forth from them. And Paul says that's the kind of biblical generosity that God is looking for because that's the heart of God. Nobody forces God to be generous. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's everything about him. He is willingly, lovingly, joyfully generous with us. And we're simply, we're simply responding to what he does. Now, that doesn't mean that we're only generous when we feel like it. It doesn't mean we're only generous when, when we feel joyous about it. The problem is not, well, we're only generous when we feel like it. The problem is we often need to let our hearts catch up with what we should do. In one of his books, N.T. Wright, talks about the, how the definition of hypocrisy has shifted over the course of the years. It used to be hypocrisy was defined basically as, I say this and I do that. I tell you, this is what you're supposed to do, and then I go do something completely different. And that kind of hypocrisy. 
But he said there's a cultural shift to the understanding of hypocrisy that now it's come to the place where it basically means if I do something I don't want to do, I'm a hypocrite. But he said that's not hypocrisy, that's just self-centeredness. That's just being self-absorbed. He tells about reading an autobiography of one of the members of parliament who basically just lays out everything about his life. His involvement in the church and all of the immoral and unethical things that he's done in his life. And at the end, he says, I, he said, I came to the realization, the, the man in parliament says in the book, I came to the realization that I was at peace with all of that because whether I was being in my church role or all the other stuff I was doing, I was okay with it because I always only did what I wanted to do. So I'm good. And Wright reminds us that's not a biblical perspective of how you live your life. So it's not saying, Paul's not saying, look, if you only feel like it, you should do it. He said you should do it and find joy and excitement and willingness in doing it. Because, you know, there are a couple of ways in which we can be generous. And again, it's modeling how God is generous. Sometimes our generosity is spontaneous. That's what I feel is happening in Exodus 36. Moses says, look, we have a need. We need to build the tabernacle. We need you all to help. And boom, there comes everything. We love being spontaneously generous. There's something, adrenaline gets pumping in us when we're spontaneously generous. We see a need and we respond to it. And, and often it has some closure to it. We can see the results of it. I think that's one of the reasons why GoFundMe is so popular you know, you, somebody puts a need on the internet and people just swarm to it because it makes you feel good. It touches your heartstrings. There's this spontaneous generosity that we love to do and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Spontaneous generosity is good. It's helpful. God is spontaneously generous with us. There's moments in life when we are in great need and God comes and helps us. He is spontaneously generous with us and we are so grateful for those moments. But the reality is most of God's generosity with us is not spontaneous. It's planned and organized. The sun comes up every morning. The earth rotates on its axis. The stars and the moon come out at night. We wake up breathing and our body functioning. These are all the planned and organized ways of generosity to us that we often take for granted. And if God is planned and organized in much of his generosity, then we probably should be too. And I think that's what Paul is hitting at in 2 Corinthians 9. He's saying to them, you know, decide in your heart what you're going to give. Make a choice. Make a decision. Let it be something planned and organized. Because anything that's important to us, we plan it and we organize it. If taking a family vacation is important to us, even if what we do on the vacation is spontaneous, at some point you sit down and you organize everybody's schedules and you make sure that things are in place that need to be in place. And why do we do that? Because this is important to us. 
If getting an education, college education is important to us, then we sit down and we plan it out and we work it out, how we're going to pay for it, the classes we're going to take, all the ways in which we're going to get to the end of that. And if you live your life as a college student only thinking about it spontaneously, you probably didn't walk yesterday. There's a, there's a planned and organized way of living our lives, and it tells us what's important to us. And generosity ought to be at the top of that list because that's what God does. It's important to step back and say, okay, as we plan our family budget, how are we going to be generous in a way that expresses our gratitude to God? How can, we, how can we be organized about that? There's a reason why God says to Israel, you bring in the first fruits. Because he knows human nature. If they wait and say, well, I'll do that at the end, there won't be much left at the end. It's the planning and the preparing. And that's why the tithe is so important. Because God says to them, look, you need to be systematic about how you give to me. Because tithing stretches us. And, and planned giving makes us think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. It causes us to engage with it so much more than just the kind of feeling-oriented spontaneity, as good as it is and as helpful as it is. We need that kind of planned, thought-out, prepared giving and generosity. And what I find is that when you plan those things out, when generosity, we're planning our generosity, it gives us a lot more freedom to be spontaneous too. And we enjoy it a lot more. And that planning and preparation is in essence saying to God, you are so important to me, I wouldn't think of being generous without thinking about it, processing it, making sure that what I'm doing expresses my gratitude and my thanksgiving to you for what you've done for me. Because as Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 9, it's for your sakes the God who is rich became poor in Jesus Christ. Thinking through that. One of the ways in which we have encouraged over the last couple of years of helping us be more systematic and, and more planned in our giving is online giving. The advantage to online giving is that you can set it up where it, it just automatically, it automatically does your gift. You don't have to worry about, oh, I forgot the checkbook at church today or you don't have enough cash on me or whatever the case might be or I just forgot. You're on vacation. You're not here. It'll still systematically give. And there's good to that. It's helpful to us. We probably would have started it a year or two before that. But honestly, I was dragging my feet. It's not because I didn't want people to help with being uh, systematic about giving. But there was something in me that said there are some things here that we need to be aware of and careful about. One of the one of the potential drawbacks of that kind of giving is that it can feel like we're just paying a bill. It just becomes one more thing that we say, well, I just pay all my bills and I've got that done. And, and generous, our generosity to the kingdom is not paying a bill. It's an expression of gratitude. And the other problem was that it reinforces what we already wrestle with in terms of our independent spirit about all things, but particularly about money. This is mine. Nobody else needs to see anything that I do. And, and I do whatever I want to do with whatever I have. And it's just about me. 
Now, we make decisions privately, and and we we do that. That's important. Paul talks about that, making your heart your own decision about what you're going to give. But what we're missing in that is the value and the significance of the corporate act of giving in worship. Our corporate act of giving is every bit as important to this time of worship as singing and reading the scriptures and praying together is. That's why the church has, through the centuries, done something to create the the opportunity for people to give together. It's not to make a big show of things. You know, Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. and You need to hide that. But he's just addressing the Pharisees who are making a big show of everything that they give. And he's saying, that's not what this is about. But he's not in any way saying, that shouldn't be a part of your corporate worship. It should be. It's important. It's imperative that it's a part of our corporate worship. And so as we pondered what to do with that, we decided there needs to be something people can do in worship who give online. And so we created these I Gave Online cards. And the first run of those, we didn't do so well with it, but we've recreated them. And there are new ones now in the pews. And they look like this. You probably see them there in front of you. I just want to say to you, if you give online every week, please take one of these cards and put it in the offering plate doesn't matter how little or much you give. It is because it's connecting you with all the rest of us as we give each week. And that's important. Because it can feel like we're disconnected with that part of worship. And we shouldn't be disconnected from any part of worship. So I don't know how to say this strongly enough, but if you give online, use the card. Take it out. Put it in the offering plate. And join in with everybody else in worship, that part of worship, of giving and expressing your gratitude to God. And every time you do that, it's not a bill you pay. It's an act of gratitude to God that we do individually and corporately. And it connects us. But there's another element to, to the idea of the corporate nature of generosity that I think is also significant for us. Because we often think generosity is what I give. It's just what I give. And, and what we give is important. But as I was having a conversation with someone this week, the, the, the thought came to me as we were talking that there is another side to generosity. It's not just giving, but it's also receiving. There is something about being willing to be generous receivers that connects us with being generous givers. Paul writes here at the end of chapter 9, he says, I'm sending the, he says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. You see what's happening? The joy is not just in the giving. The joy is in the receiving, too. I think it would have been hard for the church in Jerusalem to accept this gift. This was the mother church. It all started here. They're the foundation. They're the rock. It's all come out of them. And now here they are in such a position that these upstart churches have to help them survive. I think that would have been difficult for them. But they were joyful receivers, and they found joy and grace in being that. 
And I think sometimes in our Western culture particularly, sometimes it's easier for us to be generous givers than it is for us to be generous receivers. That first kind of came, light first came on to me when a number of years ago on Monday, Thursday night, we did foot washing. And in preparation for that, I asked, uh, I could found numerous people who would say, sure, I'd be glad to wash somebody's feet. You know what's hard to find? People who are willing to let their feet be washed. You feel vulnerable doing that. You feel exposed doing that. You feel humbled doing that. And what we miss in all of that is that the gospel calls us to a spirit of vulnerability and humility. And sometimes our generous giving is coming from a spirit of power and control. And we need to remember that whatever we do, giving or receiving, it's always in the spirit of humility and vulnerability and love. I always think about that when people go on mission trips, short-term trips, and they come back. It's, it's almost always the same kind of stories they get told. Whatever they're going to do, build something, teach, whatever it is that's happening. They go, they give, they serve, they, you know, they, they are generous with time and money and everything that they have, and they're there. And inevitably, the last night before they leave the next day, the pastor and his family or the people of the church throw this huge banquet for the people. They, they go all out. I mean, they pull out all the stops. And the food is, is tons of food, and it's all their best food, and they do everything in the best way that they can. And inevitably, every time, people come back and say, we felt so bad about that. Because they have so little, and we have so much. They shouldn't have done that for us. And what we're really saying is, we felt humbled to be receivers. We went there to be givers. Here, we have the answers. We've got what you need, and we'll solve that for you. And it's hard to be a receiver, but we're not receiving. We're, we're not giving people the opportunity to be givers and experience the joy of, of their generous giving. And in the church, we need, we need both. If there's no one to receive, then what do we do with what we give? And sometimes God puts us in the most vulnerable place to step back and to say, you know what, I have a need and I need to let this person help me meet that need. And sometimes we act as if we aren't all needy. But the heart of the gospel is we're all needy. The problem is not some are needy and some are not. The problem is will we acknowledge we are needy? We can't live our lives without each other. It's the relational dynamic of the church. And generosity plays right into the middle of that. And I'm convinced that the best and the most profound generous givers are also willing to be generous receivers. Because our hearts are open and humble and vulnerable because all the gospel starts with us receiving from God his gracious gifts. Isn't it fascinating, the story about the woman who pours the oil on Jesus? You know, the disciples are irritated. I would have been irritated, particularly if I was the one she poured the oil on, because I'd like, man, i got to take a shower and my clothes are a mess. Why would you do that to me? 
But Jesus says she has done a great thing. She has prepared my body for burial. And I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I wonder if at least a part of it is he's saying, I'm about to step onto the road to Calvary. I'm about to go to the cross. And this was a moment I needed someone coming to me and saying, we love you. You've done so much for us. Thank you. And here's my gift. For Jesus to sense the Spirit of God, the Father, in that, in that act of being willing to receive. Generosity is both. Elton Trubud once said, we can get ourselves in trouble sometimes by being overly generous. But the reality is, God created a world in which it's far better to be overly generous than the opposite. And when I read that, it reminded me of something that I read from Henry Nouwen in The Return of the Prodigal Son. He said, every time I take a step toward generosity, I'm moving a little bit closer from fear to love. Every time I take a step toward generosity, I'm moving from fear to love. I don't know where, what God may be putting his finger on in your heart today. Maybe it's about a willing spirit. Maybe it's about the joy of, in your generosity. Maybe it's about spontaneous giving. Maybe it's about planned giving. Maybe it's about being a generous giver, maybe a receiver. I don't know. But in these next couple of moments of silence, let's listen to God speaking. Because whatever he is motivating us toward, it's moving us toward the blessedness of joy in life with him. Father, thank you for your abundant generosity to us and the joy that we sense you find in generously giving and generously receiving from us. Make us image-bearing stewards of generosity. For your holy grace. Amen.